We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, this weekend I saw a movie I haven't watched since it came out in 1993. But it's a movie that's always been on my mind. It's very Twilight Zone-esque in its plot, and I've always been into that sort of thing. And it's Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Saw it for the first time in 30 years when it came out. And if you haven't seen the movie, the premise of it is this guy is stuck in a time loop where he has to relive the same day in a town that he doesn't particularly like on Groundhog Day, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And every day that he wakes up, it's that same day that he was just in and he has to do it over and over and over again. And I was thinking of that as we were watching the Lakers lose another game in crunch time, D, in heartbreaking fashion. There's so much to say, but we've had a ton of games like this this year that it definitely seems like a, a, we're living a sort of Groundhog Day in terms of the closing minutes of a, a close Lakers game. So first and foremost, man, how you holding up? There have been a lot of gut punches like that. So I'm tired of this team. I'd much rather talk about Groundhog Day, the movie right now. And so <laughs> this, hey, this is what we built the displeasure scale for. OK, just, you know, just <laughs> sure. break it out. Yes. Yeah, no, so, oh man. So right before I came in, I was a couple of minutes late before we were going to start recording. I had some network issues for some reason. It was giving me errors when I was trying to log in or whatever. But my wife, so today's a holiday. So my kids are home. My wife is home. And so my wife was saying, oh, okay, well, good luck with the pod. And I said to her, I'm tired of talking about this same team doing the same stuff every night. And then I come into the pod and here's Pete talking about Groundhog Day. So as so as you can see, we've been doing this pod a while. We are of the same mind on a lot of this this stuff. It is, I, th- I think you asked me like, hey, how you hold up after a very similar game like yeah. this the other And these ones are the frustrating. And too. like, we're playing well relative to our talent that we have available, but it's still like, these are really tough games. Mike, I was super frustrated after the last game and um, Pete had said something and I said, well, if you look at the bright side, 
right? The bright side is, is that the Lakers probably shouldn't even be close against a fully healthy 76ers team. Like we laugh about this every game, Mike, but it's just like Tobias Harris didn't miss or didn't play the last game due to injury. And him and James Harden both came in as questionable. Philly had played a pretty hard fought game against the Jazz just the night before. So they were on the second night of a back-to-back, but lo and behold, both are ready and quite capable of playing high-level, big-minute basketball against the Lakers the next night. So it always seems to be that the Lakers are getting every team's best effort, but the Lakers are hanging in there every single night against good teams. Philly's a good team. They're 10 games over 500 now. I think they're fourth in the East. And the Lakers were right there with them and had a chance to win on the final possession of the game. And it wasn't some sort of fluky... We're down nine with 25 seconds left and suddenly the other team crapped the bed. Or it wasn't one of those. We had a lot of these last year where it's like you're down 20 to start the fourth quarter and go on a huge comeback because the other teams kind of let their guard down. That was a back and forth game throughout, as was the Dallas game aside after they went up 19 in the first quarter. Yeah. So I just think that where the Lakers are right now and which it's it's odd when you think about how many of these games that they've lost and for basically the same reason. And I think we can kind of get into that next. But they remain um, right in that area of like where of this best case scenario, right, with AD returning and the rotation getting figured out and, and guys not being in and out, all that kind of stuff. Like they're still within range of the not even just the play-in, like of the actual six seed, they're still, mm-hmm. I guess now it's three games back of that. Um, and that's just the way I think the league has evolved some where teams are going to be able to stay in the mix more partially because of the play-in, partially because of some teams that are, that are just anytime a guy is, is now like not feeling well, they just don't come to the arena and guys mm-hmm. have never used to miss the game because of an illness. And I say never, I mean, it would happen maybe once a year you know, to a guy like, I just don't remember that happening. Now it's like, there's, there's 50 guys in the league that are out with some non COVID illness. And, and so that there's just, the whole thing has changed to a point where the Lakers remain, even through all of this stuff within striking distance of like that, that path to make a run, blah, blah, blah. What I kind of, what I'm, you mentioned the groundhogs day part. And I just think that it's important when these things happen to try and ask yourself why, why are these games happening like this? And I have a theory. It's not one that you guys haven't heard before, um, but it's it's one that I think is endemic to the team. But to, to avoid doing that and just answering my own question first, um, I do, Pete, want to start with you and try to pull some connective tissue um, out of what's happening in in crunch time and why these things seem to be happening over and over. So crunch time basketball, as we've kind of gotten into over recent pods, is the slowest portion of the game, which I think makes it the most skill intensive, right? In terms of you normally have to break down an engaged five on five defense in order to get a bucket. And uh, I, I suspect that Russell Westbrook, what Russell Westbrook plays into the theory that you have on it, Mike. And I agree to to an extent. And we saw on the last play how that worked out. We can talk about that play in a bit. But our our jump shooting, our collective jump shooting I think goes beyond him, right? In that uh, LeBron is taking fewer and fewer threes. This is the least confidence I've seen LeBron have in his jump shot since he's been a Laker. And when that is stacked on top of Russ's just 
the the way he is as a player, right? In terms of that's just not his game. And then also Dennis Schroeder going from being very hot to very cold overnight. We just fall below a certain degree of jump shooting on the team that is super important to me, D, in that last five minutes of a game where you are going up against a set defense where the that looser style of basketball where we can get out into transition, you get fewer possessions like that. That said, I think what's worth pointing out within the context of this is we're an incredible team in the paint and at getting to the basket and scoring. We had a ton of points in the paint in the first half. We were up by a point at halftime while making one three-pointer in the first half. I just want to highlight that, D, in that we're an unusual team in that I like. I don't think there's another team in the NBA that quite fits that description the way that we do, that we're so elite at this one thing, but so deficient at another in ways that it's both the roster, but also existing guys, a guy like LeBron James, who's been a much better jump shooter than this for much of his career, at least from three, right? He's taking a lot more of these shots from mid-range. There's just a collective, like we drop below that Mendoza line that I think is needed for that's, you know, for those last five minutes of close games. Yeah, it's funny that you brought up the low volume of three-point shooting, and then you talked about like, oh, haven't watched this movie. It came out 30 years ago. Well, the Lakers are playing a brand of basketball that's like from yes. 40 years ago, right? It is. It's very much a, like, oh, they hopped in the DeLorean, and Mike can explain to you what the DeLorean <laughs> is, but they hopped in the DeLorean and went back to 1983, Mike, and they're just like, yeah, we'll take seven threes, or at one point... Philly had made nine threes, and I think the Lakers had only taken 14, right? And so, like, the Lakers find themselves in math problem games a fair amount, and they are competitive and could basically, like, this game's going to overtime or it's a last possession game and the Lakers are minus 15 from the three-point line some nights, right? It's not like that every night because just very recently you might find a game where LeBron hit five three-pointers or Dennis Schroeder hit four of them and you're just like hey look at this team they're a respectable three-point shooting team but it's the volume that intrigues me when it comes to to the Lakers team um but yeah it's like the crunch time woes are are what they are we 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 cover this a bunch Mike like Russ does play play a part in this but the Lakers are playing lineups that have like sometimes closing the game when you Gabriel, Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder and LeBron James. And then one other guy like Troy Brown, who's a career 35 percent shooter or 33 percent three point shooter. There's just not a guy who is like, hey, jump shooting is what I do. And beyond that, it's four other guys who prefer to score like six feet and in if they can possibly. And that's just not, that's just not a way conventional basketball or modern day basketball is played, but the Lakers do it so well that they are not only surviving, but in some parts of the game, they're thriving, but in crunch time, they are not thriving and building the bridge between the quote unquote normal parts of the game and the crunch time portion of the game. That bridge is, trying to be constructed, but it's not built yet. And that's, I think, the biggest obstacle the Lakers have to clear this season in order to go from where they are to being the team that they want to be. So I was thinking about LeBron's teams when he first got to Miami. And that team lost a bunch of games late in games, especially early, like that first season they were together. Mm, that's and right. 
there are a couple of similarities, I think, between this team. And the first one was that when LeBron got there and Wade, he and Wade were still trying to figure out you know, what the pecking order was and who was going to be in what spot. And the scouting report on both guys was to back off and to let him shoot. And so teams were just crashing into the middle of the paint, throwing an extra defender in there. And, you know, so I was asking uh, George Sedano, who used to cover those teams and is now out here in L.A. Um, doing radio and still working for ESPN. And things switched when Wade essentially embraced being the, the off-ball guy, the cutter. He was a devastating cutter to the rim, screen setter. Um, Spo would then they started playing Bosch at the five and, and it eventually and to get some other shooting on the court. But it was like Wade started to do all of the other stuff and let LeBron be the guy with the ball. And then they started just crushing everybody. Um, and, and again, it's not that simple, but basically like one one of the two guys that is not the jump shooter has to do something different. And what I what I've seen consistently throughout this year when it's become like AD has not been playing. And so LeBron and AD had their crunch time thing figured out and it would be AD would be at the five. They would have three guys that could shoot around them. And they, they, this is where we get into my shooter versus the somebody like a knockdown shooter. And I'm like KCP and Danny green who are yeah. plenty good enough to space mm-hmm. and just need to be guarded. And they'll hit some occasional threes and that works. That just works. Or, and both guys can post up by the way, um, if you need that to happen. So, but LeBron and Russ have, there's something that's been found in these lineups where they're just getting up and down and kicking everybody's ass with their athleticism in transition. And that happens. They go on runs every game with that, but in crunch time, it doesn't happen. They can't do that in crunch time. And then like to bring last night's game into this, the ball is in Russ's hands as they're coming up the court. He's Embiid. Like what to me, I think Philly probably wanted Embiid on Russ, but I don't know that I, I would Pete, Did you watch the play over again? Oh yeah. Okay, so was it was this, was this like a transition cross match, or was was Philly going to guard Russ with Embiid anyway? I I, I don't know. They certainly didn't go. Oh crap! Embiid's on Russ. I and and to me that like Russ's ability to score when he, he's having one of his best scoring stretches right now is based on the ability to kind of bully a guy and you know use his size and strength and athleticism. This is why Aaron Gordon gave him problems against the Denver Nuggets type of thing. So I don't know if it was intent from the beginning of the play, but they had the opportunity to switch it if they wanted to, and they were totally fine with it. And, and so we've talked about all year though teams the the scouting report. I don't know if it was Billups or Ty Lue that did it first. I think it might have been Ty Lue, but basically Zubats or Nurkic. Okay. It was so, Ty Lue. And, and it's not like Ty Lue invented that. You know, like teams in the past have done this with Russ, but it's really been like everybody's got the book now, especially in crunch time. Put the center on him, extra body in the paint. LeBron, so LeBron, to add a little uh, layer to this, uh, LeBron, I was asking him about pick and roll the other day. And he's like, well, I'm not worried about my guy. I'm not worried about the guy that comes to set the screen. I'm looking at the third level. That's what I'm looking at. And when when Russ is being guarded by a center and LeBron looks beyond the initial action, he sees an extra body right there in the paint, which is where he wants to drive. And that deters that. And so this, to me, is the commonality as to what's happening for, to the Lakers in crunch time. They've got LeBron and Russ, not a clear, even though, of course, it should be LeBron, a clear sort of method of who's going to initiate. And they don't have it, the shooting with between one of the two guys that has the ball. I don't mean off the ball, but if you have Russ, that means you don't have name, whoever your guy is, that's going to be standing in the corner out of the action. And, and that to me is the consistency that's, that's happening above a bunch of other difficulties that they've had and injuries and all that kind of stuff. But that's the thing that I, that I kind of keep getting to the post game press conference and just being like, well, you know, 
that that happened again. That happened again. And and there's no sign that it's not going to keep happening. Let's go to break here, Mike, because I do want to explore this a little bit more, this idea of crunch time offense. But I also want to go into another thing about the Miami Heat that you brought up that I started to think about. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I think you're right, Mike, in terms of just figuring out how to break down a crunch time defense when Russ is on the court and what the matchups are. I think it's especially tricky when you don't have Anthony Davis and when LeBron is playing to the level that that he is because it allows defenses to slot guys in a very particular way where it's just like, so if the Lakers have Anthony Davis last night, forget the score, forget anything else. Let's just say on a final possession, Philly has those same five guys out on the court, but the Lakers also have Anthony Davis. If Joel Embiid decides, hey, I'm going to cross match and I'm going to guard Russell Westbrook and somebody is on LeBron James, who also has size, like let's say it's Tobias Harris or whoever else that they had, maybe it's James Harden. That leaves like, Who's on AD at this point? And mm-hmm. the point that you made, Pete, about like a guy like Aaron Gordon, given Russell Westbrook problems, that's also a result yep. of AD not being available. It, and thing. it's yep. one of the issues that the Lakers faced a ton last season because AD missed a bunch of time and LeBron played a bunch of minutes at center. And so teams were matching up by basically saying like, OK, well, we might even guard LeBron with like DeMontis Sabonis. Right. Against when when like the Lakers were playing the Pacers last season before the, the trade or whatever. The same thing. Yeah. Right. And what we're going to do then is, is we're going to put our power forward then Harrison Barnes or someone like that. They're stretch four and they're going to defend Russell Westbrook with that player. And it gets complicated, Pete, because the the idea of slotting works both ways. Like I talk a lot about slot slotting in terms of offensive role and like how much how much of a lift you have to provide for your team offensively based off of well what other talent is on the floor for you right but it works too defensively in that okay well there's no other like power wing for me to guard so guess what I get to defend Russell Westbrook in this way right or there's no big center for me to defend so guess what we're gonna put that guy on on Russ and then we're going to slot the rest of these guys accordingly and it's a tricky thing to 
for the Lakers to beat right now because they don't necessarily have the personnel and the nature of their team isn't that you have all this knockdown shooting around there to stretch the floor to make these bigger dudes run all over the place out of ball rotation. So let's start there. Like, is there a way to manage this without AD? We're in kind of a checkmate situation with this particular issue with our, our jump shooting, right? Because I agree that, you know, Russ certainly changes the geometry and the spacing of the team. That said, I've seen years and years of LeBron James and and just like end of game type of basketball where it's one-on-one situations with your best player and they're able to get themselves their own shot in ways that, and jump shots oftentimes, LeBron included, in ways that are kind of, it doesn't really matter who else you have on the floor. It's that, you know, you're operating from the wing. We've been having LeBron at the top of the key a lot in these situations. I'd like to move it off to the side or into the, the high post. Uh, I think we get better looks out of that. And that that is one of the things too, where it kind of, it's one of those problems that compounds itself in that when you have everybody sagging off in this very high school type of defense and LeBron, uh, has the ball in the middle of the floor, the defense can decide for you, Mike, that you are going to take a jump shot on this possession. It might be wide open, but when you have an, enough guys and and too few guys that are like, oh crap, a KCP, a Danny Green type, where they're like, yeah, if you left those guys open, they were going to make them at a, a certain clip. Right now, especially, we're so de- skill deficient, not only with AD out, but also with Austin out, with Lonnie out. These are guys that if you give them open looks, they're going to hit them at a at a high rate. And so I don't see under our current circumstances uh, us, able, us being able to do a whole ton. Uh, but it's also one of the reasons why I would like us to see if we can get a guy who hits jump shots for a living. Yeah. Um, all right. I've. I, I'm trying to think. So if guy who gets jump shots for a living and then who is that guy that also defends and we're back in the same conversation that we always have about it. But your point about the certain guys that are out and in basically the difference between Dennis Schroeder and, you know, Max has had to close a couple of games and then either like Wendy Gabriel Thomas or Thomas Bryant um, that those are all guys, right? Who the defense is, is almost just thanking you um, yep. for letting them shoot. And if, and if they hit some, which, by the way, Dennis Schroeder did, and that's how the Lakers won the Sacramento game. Mm-hmm. And and Thomas Bryant, who didn't miss in that game, you know, and was able to stay on the floor because they weren't punishing him in the way um, that he's been punished in some other games. I suppose most uh, most notably the uh, the immediately previous contest. So I that's part of it that that I can agree with. But bigger picture, you're going to get in theory Reeves and Walker back like in another week or so. I think we're on, or at least in terms of the reevaluation and we'll see how they're feeling, but we're at least a week into that. So just having those two options um, as guys that can close, then I still think that you get, you get right back to that same thing of having the extra body that's out there to deter the drives. And I like your idea of trying to get LeBron the ball a little bit further in, but to me, that's also what teams are desperately trying to avoid and just really putting bodies on him to try and keep him Mm -hmm. away from that space and for him to have to work as hard as he would have to work to establish that position, 
takes you know what i'm saying like there's a yeah. there's a reason also why he can't get to that spot every time or, or not that he can't but if he does he's got to exert so much of that energy that he's already been exerting by initiating the offense and that's sort of also the similar problem of giving him the ball on the top of the key and break down your defender and then all of the help defenders who are sagging off of those when in gabriels and all, all of those types of players that like that's one of why i say it's sort of a checkmate position with our current roster is is that like that is also hard too in a, in a similar well, way and it just so Darius to kick this to you it I think about this sometimes when watching other teams play and a guy that's responsible for creating so much of this team's offense like Luca and there are certain possessions where Luca has done so damn much that he just has to give the ball to Spencer Dinwiddie or Tim Hardaway Jr. and be like just go try and create something mm-hmm. I, like I need a possession here mm-hmm. you know to try to gather to try to gather myself because of all of the stuff that he's had to do throughout the course of a game and you especially see this play out in playoff series when it's all on one guy uh, to try and set things up. And I think that's part of the what's what I think the Lakers have been doing and leaning more into Russ in certain contexts. But I've just all since the start of the season, I've been trying to separate what happens in crunch time when that stuff clearly does not work as much versus the usage that Russ has in the middle of games that has been has been working to some extent. And it just seems to be very difficult for a coaching staff to kind of enable and give the ball and go do all this. But then by the way, in the last five minutes, either you're out or go sit in the corner or, and and thus, thus me not necessarily having an answer for how this changes as the season goes on. I, I don't disagree with any of that, Mike. My only one bit of pushback is that we haven't been good in crunch time when Russ hasn't been in the game either in different permutations of, of the team. So I agree, but I think that our problem extends beyond just that. The problem does extend beyond just that, and part of it is what Mike was talking about in terms of the lift of a generational superstar when he's 24 versus when he's 38, Mm -hmm. right? And the burden sharing that Mike is discussing, the Lakers have the ability to burden share much better than a team like Dallas does, or even the Bucks do right now with like with Middleton injured and Drew Holiday, his best traits not being an on-ball offensive creator, right? And so the issue with bridging that gap that I mentioned before in terms of like normal game offense and crunch time time offense is going to have to do with, okay, well, what do you do with Russ? That's certainly a question. What happens when AD comes back? That's another question that we had dis- we've talked about this plenty of times during the regular season, like earlier during the year. The Lakers lost some of those crunch time games because LeBron was saying, I'm going to create like I'm 26, 27, 28 year old LeBron and AD, you go stand in the corner and mm-hmm. I got this. You come and set a screen for me. Oh, I got the switch that I wanted. Here's a center that's on me. I'm not going by this guy, though. I'm going to shoot a step back jumper. And when that jumper doesn't fall and then the Lakers don't get a good possession, right, Pete? How many games did we have where AD had taken one or two shots in the yeah. fourth quarter and, you know, zero points, two points? Now, that's not all, all on everybody else, right? That's partially on AD, but that speaks to what you're saying. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot to digest here. And there's a lot of things that go into the Lakers' struggles during crunch time. Right. One of the reasons why and this is where I'll make this is where I'll get back to that Miami Heat point that I wanted wanted to make. Mike brought up a great point about some of the Heat struggles in their first season. One of the things that alleviated those struggles 
over the course of the rest of the time that LeBron was well was in Miami. It wasn't just because of the pecking or or their stuff that got figured out. It's because after that first season, they got Ray Allen. <laughs> Shane Battier. No, seriously, though. Battier. Yeah, they yeah. had Ray Rashard Allen and Lewis. Shane Battier and guys who were able to support LeBron in the ways that he needed supporting both on offense and on defense, to Mike's point, mm-hmm. on defense, too. So Ray Allen was still a two-way player, even at that advanced stage, stage of his career. And Shane Battier, he had New York Times articles written about his defense in relation to Kobe and the Kobe stopper and the hand in the face, eh, which Kobe still I hated that, I hated that Mike got something to say here. Take your piece on Battier, Mike. But no, no, no. I, I, just a 10 second thing on it. Yeah, I get it. Analytics God, like Badier, he's the kind of player that I like, like relative to a six man gunner, but he was not the Kobe stopper. Kobe kicked his ass um, multiple times. He did. did he make Kobe work a little bit? Sure. But he, but he brutalized him in many ways that that article sort of just glossed over completely to build the narrative that he's the greatest analyst. That's all. I just, it always bugged me a little bit that it wasn't a fully, it was a narrative selling type of an article as opposed to a full truth telling one. That's all. Amen, Mike. One of the things that I will say about Kobe, too, and this is just a five or ten second aside, Kobe was he was the guy that if you gave him any puzzle, eventually he would solve eventually he would solve it. And he did it to Shane Mm. Battier. He did it to Ron Artest. He did it to Doug Christie. He did it over and over and over and over and over again. Bruce Bowen, every sort of Ruben Patterson, every stopper. That was Thank supposed you. to give Co- you, Kobe problems. They might give him problems for a playoff series. And guess what? The next year, those problems were gone. They were gone. And it's why none of those teams consistently vanquished the Lakers. It was the Lakers consistently vanquishing them. And people talk about Shaq, and Shaq was a big part of that, and on and on and on. But guess what? Kobe Bryant found your weakness defensively, and he found the next way to get by you. A- anyways, that's just my 10-second aside. Kobe was also the number one guy during crunch time, right? Like he was, the roles flipped between him and Shaq in terms of who was the go-to guy. And I think that speaks to the degree of skill you need down the stretch of games where everybody's locked in and focused and doing their thing. You got to be able to do some, do some skill work. And so this is why though, in bringing it back to that point I was trying to make about the heat, it's like one of the things that it wasn't just the fact that like, when you go back to the 2020 Lakers that Danny Green or KCP would make the shot, it was that defenses treated them a little bit differently than what they would treat some other guys. And this is where the type of player that I'm talking about, he doesn't need to be a Ray Allen level shooter, but what he needs to be is someone who the defenses consider are, are considerate of as a guy who will make that shot. And I'm very interested to see what caliber of shooter it takes for some of the defenses to stop doing the exact thing that they're doing now with Russell Westbrook on the court. But then it's not just that, Pete. And and I'll kick it to both you and Mike on this idea. A part of it is too, is just like, well, is LeBron going to maybe go to AD a little bit more? Even it like... Fast forward a month from now where hopefully mm-hmm. AD is playing and it's crunch time. Is it going to be 1-5 LeBron at the top of the key, AD standing in the corner, and it's just like, let me create from up high? Now, I don't want to act like LeBron only does that because he does run pick and roll with AD. He does do a lot of stuff in order to involve AD. But there is some of that burden sharing that needs to happen a little bit more in crunch time. And this third piece that we're talking about is important to that, but it's not the only piece. And so I don't want to frame it as if here's the only solution to this problem. This might be 
a departure um, from answering this directly. So forgive me and pe- feel free to rein in. But something something's been bugging me lately. And it's just sort of the way that we're talking about a, a couple of the current players and, and one being Giannis. And so there there have been a couple of a couple of like national type uh, podcasts and lately where essentially what's going on with Giannis this year? You know, why is his efficiency dropped some? And I think like when you watch the Bucks, so Giannis, yes, his field goal percentage is down from 55, 56, which it always is to like 52. And he's taken some more long twos and the shots have been a little tougher. But to me, like the answer is so obvious and simple. Like Middleton has is either not played or barely played. And so the personnel that they're having around Giannis uh, in parts has led to the floor being a little bit more congested and teams just selling out more to be like, fine, Drew Holiday, you want to take a bunch of threes? Um, mm-hmm. Even guys like Connaughton that are typically pretty good shooters or Grayson Allen aren't exactly having great years. Brooke Lopez is. But there's like all of that affects the, the star. All of that affects the superstar mm-hmm. in this case. And and so meanwhile, like Embiid still has higher percentages. And but like Giannis has proven it at the level. And this is where I want to bring Jokic into this. Like that what Giannis has and what Giannis does has led directly to a title. And he's the main reason why. And so he gets put in a certain box for me. Embiid mm-hmm. has not done that. Embiid has not been nearly as good in playoff series. There are ways that you can take advantage of him. There are things that you can do basketball wise. Now, Jokic is unimpeachable offensively. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Passing, scoring, shooting, everything. Defensively, there is yet for me to be the proof of concept as to what he can do on that end to really impact a series when a team like Golden State is going to target him. Part of that's a little unfair to Jokic in that he hasn't he didn't have a lot of his best teammates, uh, for example, last year. And so and he's young and like there's still a chance for him to get there. But that to me, like when we think about MVP and should he be a three time MVP, we I think we have to somehow bring the whole point of basketball, which is winning the title, bringing that into play. And it's part of what when you were talking about Kobe Darius, this got me thinking of that. It's part of what like LeBron has proven over and over and over again that he's got all of that. He's got enough of all of that type of stuff. And I, I just am I'm trying to think about that context for like Russ does not have that type of context, you know, and, and, and not to not to single him out in this case. I'm, I'm bringing him in with this whole anybody who hasn't basically been able to do what they do at the highest level for four rounds and to like win the whole thing to me has to be included when we whenever we have any of these types of discussions. And Pete, maybe I just had to get that off my chest and it wasn't directly related. But uh, there <laughs> to me, there's there's some tie in here when you're trying to figure out how to how to win games and how to eventually like what you're doing with your roster. Certainly, certainly those you're also not going to win a title, as you often say, without one of your top two guys. And it, it's been remarkable how this season has developed in that. We had LeBron and AD for the most part to start the year, but we didn't know what the hell our team was. We were way smaller than we should have been, which is an unforced error on on our end. We didn't have to go as small as we did, but we were still figuring out who our guys were, who worked, who didn't, who played together. That was always going to happen in the first part of this, this season. And also we had a pretty tough schedule to start the year, which was the opposite of last season. And then we got a stretch without LeBron, but with AD where it was like, hey, these guys look pretty good without LeBron and they're winning some games and we kind of climbed back into it. And then the reverse has happened over the last bit where even with these last two losses, another three game losing streak when we came within two games of 500 back down to five, uh, five under 500 now. But 
the same things happened where it's like, hey, this group's playing well and they're they're a solid group. And so it takes a little bit of imagination to be like, hey, what will it look like when it's both LeBron and AD together? But that to me is the ultimate answer to what Mike was talking about, about like, can you do this within the context of winning a title? I think that that has to be answered on this Lakers team in the context of a LeBron and AD type of build, which we just haven't seen. And it's been so tantalizing because it's been really years since we've had both of them going and and really playing at the same time. And so I totally get the skepticism and all of that. But in terms of evaluating, how do people fit into this team? I don't think you can do that without seeing that first. So yes and no. Haven't had one of those in a little bit. I 100% agree on the part about like the AD and LeBron part, because that part is proven. And one of the things I would say that is different this year than what has been different in the two or three previous seasons, right, after the title, is that both players have reached a level this season in which you hadn't seen both of them reach in the same mm-hmm. season since the title year, right? It just and wasn't so at the same last time. Year, yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, or even just in the same season, like for yep. a consistent stretch, like we saw AD get to that point, like it was it was flirting with that the first like in the in the season after the bubble, going into the playoffs, it looked like oh, AD's back, LeBron mm-hmm. is here. It 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 looked like it there, and then it all fell apart with like the injury to AD in at the playoffs against the Suns. But we got a pretty good sample size of AD just wrecking the league. And then we got a pretty good sample size of LeBron looking like, oh, damn, LeBron is still that caliber of dude. And so that leads me to say, Pete, that like, I don't need a lot of like, oh, well, how is like, we need to see these two guys together again. And then, right, there is a certain template of player that I know fits next to those those two dudes. I just get Mm -hmm. me one, one of those guys and I'm ready to roll. And then you could have crunch time lineups that even if Russ is still on that version of the team, you can have crunch time lineups that don't even involve Russell Westbrook at all. That's right. Because you know the formula that works from previous years because we know that what LeBron AD plus this sort of build next to them will will deliver, particularly on offense. If there's anything that I can tie together from the way that LeBron has described all this is that that seems to be what's been frustrating him the most in that there's just... Mm. In order to develop cohesion and to figure out what you're going to do late in situations, it has to be at least close to the same group of guys. Maybe it's four and then the other guy rotates. But the last several years, mm-hmm. I think there are two problems with it. One, it's the personnel where you, if you don't have the guys that you can trust on, to stay on the floor on, one, on defense, you know, then can that coach get away with playing them or not? That's one. So one is just having the, the requisite level of actual players. And then the second one, of course, is all of all of the injuries and all of the absences and all of that. But that that is the recurring theme that LeBron is mentioning when we're asking all these various questions about what happened in this crunch time, what happened in that crunch time. And he's just like, well, it was a different group today um, and it was a group, mm-hmm. different group the day before. And it was a different group, the one bef- behind it in basketball. Genius LeBron is like trying to piece together this puzzle of disparate parts. And and that's unfortunately, mm-hmm. guys, been the common theme basically since the bubble title. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. it it's just uh, I, that that is that is I think the the most correct answer. Then my whole thing about spacing and, and Russ and how that works out, like you know, I don't I don't even know if it's if it's worthwhile to keep focusing on it because it does not seem like that's going to be changing um, anytime soon. 
Well, also without Anthony Davis playing, I would argue that we need Russ yeah, to be of course. With the 80s, in closing and lineups. Is and, the number one of all of all things, him being out. Yeah, and like the last thing that that I would add to that piece too, Mike, in terms of continuity is one of the things that aids continuity is do you know how to play and do you know what your role is? The 2019-2020 Lakers team was built out of nothing. They were a brand new team. Whole cloth, like four leftover guys from the previous season, and they went and won the championship, Pete. And part of that was because they had a ton of high IQ players who knew exactly mm-hmm. what their role was going to be on that specific team. And if that role aligned almost perfectly with what their skill sets were. Right. And so Danny Green, you're going to be this KCP. You're going to be that Alex Russo. You're going to be this and on and on and on and on and on. Coos, everyone else. They brought in Marquise Morris. Morris was like the perfect fit for what he needed to do. And it was just that sort of thing. And this is why when I look at crunch time stuff, a part of it is not only the lack of continuity that Mike mentioned, but just like, do you have five or six guys on the team who, quote unquote, know how Certainly. to play? And it's part of the reason why I'm still looking for a couple, like a move or two yeah. in order to get a couple of those guys. It, it's interesting. We didn't bring up Darvin at all in the context of this conversation. And I think that like knowing what we're doing down the stretch and part of that's on the coach too, right? There's a there's been a level of uncertainty and unsureness with how we've kind of operated offensively that I think ties to him as well. So, and I think we'll get more into his adjustments and things like that in in future pods. But this is a good talk. Uh, we got another one tonight against Houston. Hopefully, it is not a relive of the same Groundhog Day, and we get a W. We certainly need it. We'll we will be back tomorrow to discuss it. But until then, even listen to the Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's Let's the move. Go. Two, Let's go. one, Missing. it! Unbelievable. Right. 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 It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.